Good morning, and thank you, worship team. Thank you for joining us here, uh, whether you're here with us in person or whether you might be with us online. I just want to reiterate an uh, announcement that uh, Seth made a few minutes ago. Tomorrow night, we uh, begin a new uh, welcome class, six to seven weeks on Monday nights, 6.30 in the evening. And if you've never been a part of a welcome class, we would encourage you to be a part of that. Maybe you've been with us online uh, throughout these past weeks or months, and you'd like to get to know us a little bit more personally, this is for you. And someone will, will meet you here, and we'd like to share a bit of what our story is as a church, uh, what we believe, walking through some of the major truths of the Bible that I think are always helpful, whether that's review or new to you. But we'd love to see you 6.30 tomorrow evening. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 11 as we return to our study of this important, uh, very practical book, I think. When I included the term youth in the title, I realized that maybe about a third of you might check out and say, well, that's not for me. And hopefully there might be another third who says, maybe this is for me. The rest of you don't really know if you are young or old. You're still trying to figure it out, maybe. I saw a meme recently, 60 might be the new 40, but 9 p.m. is the new midnight. Anybody agree with that one? You're, you're somewhere in the middle or the older group then. Young is a relative term, but I would say this, if you are healthy enough to come to an in-person service, you have a measure of youth. And God is applying this, I think, to our hearts uh, with whatever degree of youth and abilities we have. I want to read these uh, four verses, and uh, then we'll walk back through them. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Verse 7 uses some uh, picturesque language to tell us basically enjoy life every day. It's not till verse 9 he specifically addresses youth. Uh, and clearly this is intended for, for all of us. But he says light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see the sun. Light is a metaphor. Solomon is... Uh, the ultimate poet, as well as a philosopher and obviously a theologian inspired by God. But uh, he often packages his most important truths in a metaphor. So light is a metaphor here for life. Life is sweet. And it pleases the eye to see the sun. So every morning we should say, wow, we are alive. But if indeed light is a metaphor of life, what is the metaphor of darkness about? It's about death. Um, the days of darkness are many. So light is sweet. 
It pleases the eye to see the sun. Hey, I'm alive, but the days of darkness will be many. And I believe here he's referring to death, not simply to old age or sickness or hard times, but actually death, basically saying we are going to be dead a lot longer than we are alive from earth's perspective. Go to a cemetery, local cemetery, and you can, you'll find those early dates of the 1800s or whatever. And uh, you realize that from earth's perspective, people are dead for a long time. But it's, it's cast, though, in a very positive sense because he is always giving us God's perspective, even though he's describing what happens on earth. He says, you only have so many days on earth, so what are you going to do with them? Are you going to spend them moaning about what is wrong? Or enjoying what God's given you that's good. Light is sweet. It pleases the eye to see the sun. God designed us for joy. How's that working out for him? Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a commitment. That's a, that's a mindset. The Jewish religion has a tradition that when waking up from sleep and even before washing one's hands, they should say, and some do, this prayer, I am thankful before you, living and enduring king, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Great is your faithfulness. That's a good prayer. Psalm 118 would be, a good thing to say each morning. What do you say each morning? What hurts? How much? What do I need to do today? However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. It's a biblical command. Let him enjoy them all. It's not, a, it's not an option. Let us rejoice. Um, Solomon is not denying the hard things in life throughout this book. There has been plenty of reminders of oppression, uh, plain meanness, pain, the emptiness of life. And so he didn't turn around and contradict himself to say, but enjoy life. He's rather contrasting, I think, a, the difference between a life that is built around self or a life that is built around God. Throughout this last months of study, we've called this book a God-filled life in an empty world. Joy is part of how God wants to fill this life. He has taught us Solomon has that wealth, knowledge, entertainment, achievement can all be empty. They're empty when they are self-centered. And I think Solomon was reflecting his own story. He was exhibit A of how empty these things can be. But these same things can be meaningful and causes of joy when we live in this life with a God-centered focus. So the question is, is our view of money, for example, God-centered? 
Does talking to God and thinking through his eyes affect us when we think about earning, spending, saving, investing? Do we ask ourselves the question, what would God want me to do? How, how is this part of God's blessing in my life? Entertainment. Do we have a God-centeredness when we take the remote in hand or flip through our, our phone and feed? Is there a God-centeredness because there is great joy when there is God-centeredness, but there is no joy in Selfville, which is a very tiny town, only when God is central. So however many years you have, enjoy them all. It's a command. As we discuss this, it's not to heap any guilt on someone who is going through something especially hard right now, especially. There's a time for lament. What did Solomon say in, 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 uh, in Ecclesiastes 3? A time for mourning. He gets it. He gets it. But if we step away from our grief or pain right now, is it possible that we have lost our joy or are no longer pursuing joy because we have a deficient view of God? That maybe he's not really good. You know the lie that Adam and Eve believed that drew them into sin for the first time? Was when Satan cast doubt on their view of God. Did God say... And, and it, the implication was, is God good if he keeps something from you? And so to begin to cast doubt on their view of God's goodness actually led them to sin. I wonder if too often we as Christians are some of the most guilty of complaining and raising fears. I get it because we have a more clear view of the realities of evil. And so we know there is a spiritual battle. We know there is an enemy. And we maybe see things that the unbelieving world does not. But does it cause us to furrow our brow and actually begin to see life through the eyes of evil as if evil is winning? Or does it cause us to trust God more? Someone recently commented in light of what seems to be some spiritual setbacks in America. Do we think God is stupid or is he in control? Often maybe we don't enjoy life because we don't actually trust God. Life is sweet. It pleases the eye to see the sun. Enjoy them all. Even 2020. That was fun, wasn't it? How about 2021, though? How about 2022? Next week in chapter 12, we have to face up to the decline of aging when, in fact, it's a reality we no longer will enjoy things as much. Look at verse 1, at least the last line of it. The years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. 
So there will be some season, long or short, that leads to our death. But really, that makes the point of verse 8 all the more strong. Since we will die, let's make sure to enjoy every year that God gives us on this earth. Because you realize that this time, for, so, so God created this world with its beauty, gave us the relationships that we value. And this time on this planet, in this earthly life, in spite of all the sin around us and in us, is the time that we have to enjoy our family, the job we have, responsibilities, hobbies, flowers, taking your kids or your grandkids to their soccer games, little league, splash pads, outdoor grilling, goofy things that your family laughs at that time is now. This is the time to enjoy Motorcycle trips. I was just waiting to say that. There are going to be far better things than anything in those lists in heaven. And we won't miss these things. But this is the time that we have to enjoy the things that God has put in our life. The idea of pleasure, I'm afraid, has been hijacked by our culture to almost always imply guilty pleasures. Um, food, drink, sex, money has been taken over by Satan's grin implying that these things are intrinsically evil when they are not. They are things that God has created as gifts to enjoy and then Satan comes and distorts and perverts them. The problem comes if we ignore God's word and Ignore the parameters in which each of these things should be enjoyed. The problem comes when we seek these things selfishly, not gratefully. So indeed a person can indulge in good food until it makes them sick. A person can uh, drink alcohol or Mountain Dew to harmful excess. A person can indulge in sexual relationships outside of God's plan for marriage. We can pursue money on an endless treadmill thinking that itself will give, it will give us joy in itself. Maybe it's a pattern that you learned from your parents. That selfish perspective of pleasure is certainly what you will see in advertisements or the entertainment industry. And so no wonder that our whole idea of pleasure has become tainted with guilt. Unfortunately, one of the results of that is many times unbelievers, maybe they've learned it from us, but maybe unbelievers have, have kind of this view, they resist Christianity, that if I put my faith in Christ, if I believe the Bible, if I follow Christ somehow, I'm done with fun. Do we realize the best advertisement for a God-centered life is a God-centered joy? And so that is our responsibility. That is the call of God's word. As a sidebar, kind of, if you've not yet watched the TV series The Chosen about the life of Christ, you really need 
to watch that and enjoy it. It's just starting uh, season two, get the app, The Chosen, and uh, it, it's, it's free. Might be the first time I've promoted a TV series from here. How many of you have seen at least some of The Chosen? Raise your hand. Yeah, good, good smattering. You need, you need to see it. One of the things I really like about it, besides the quality and the, a lot of reasons, but is, is um, it pictures Jesus and the disciples enjoying life together while they are learning who Jesus is and while they are, they are addressing some really tough, important issues about their relationship to God and their own failures and sin. But it, along the way, Jesus and his disciples laugh and they crack jokes. And, and well, did, did, did Jesus tell jokes? Have you read the Gospels? Uh, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Come on, that's got to be a little bit funny. (laughs) Camels are weird animals. He one time said the Pharisees, they strain the gnat, but they swallow a camel. You don't think that people chuckled in the room or or when when he said how... You know, we got, we got a problem when we see the speck in our brother's eyes, but there's a, a big plank in ours. I, I, think, I think Jesus knew about laughing and learning. So if you're considering Christ, your, your fun isn't over. The best fun, the truest joy will come as you follow him. And if you are considering Jesus Christ, Please get to know some Christians who are joyful. And if you happen to be a Christian struggling with chronic negativity and unhappiness, please consider, reconsider, address your view of God. I think God enjoyed creating the world for us. Didn't he smile with pleasure when he spun the solar system and got it into orbit, and it's worked perfectly since. Did God chuckle when he created a giraffe with that amazing long neck? Or put that huge beak and bold colors on the toucan? Or seriously, was God all serious when he made zebras have stripes? Would he have had to have done that? Or did he do it for us to enjoy? Sometimes we, uh, we criticize, I think rightly, the evolutionists who say, oh, all these amazing diversities are random. But if we believe that they are intentional, can't we not at least see the joy, the fun in the colors, the shapes that make children laugh at a zoo? God had pleasure making things for us to enjoy. I hope that's being fulfilled in his heart. And you know how it is if you spend a day with a child or grandchild who is grumpy, it drags you down, right? Because they're not happy, and so you're not happy. And I just want to be a child of God that brings him joy. So enjoy today because, verse 8, there will be a time when you cannot, 
everything to come is meaningless. Here's this word, vanity, emptiness. And specifically, he says, the things to come. So he says, there, the, reason, the reason it's empty is because there's an expiration date on it. Death will end the joys of earth. It's that simple. So if we keep that perspective, verse 9, then especially when we're young, we need to enjoy life with freedom, but with accountability. That's how it works. Be happy, young man, while you are young, verse 9, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Be happy, especially if you are young, because if you are younger, you have more days to enjoy the things that God made to enjoy on earth. It's good to be young. There's a reason why we who are older um, long sometimes for those days when we were younger because we had more strength and energy to enjoy things. We perhaps uh, were more engaged. Uh, if we are, you're retired, maybe you, you, you kind of long for when people knew who you were and what you did and, and uh, your achievements, productivity. You indeed can enjoy some things more when you are younger. It's a fact. I used to enjoy playing basketball every uh, Monday night uh, in the colder months, running up and down the court for an hour or two. I did that in uh, 20-some years until my knee forced me to quit somewhere in my early 50s. I'll still play you in horse, but I want you to know I used to be able to do everything that Giannis Antetokounmpo does. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Except for the speed and dribbling and shooting and jumping ability. I, I did the same thing he did, does. Do my limitations keep me from, in, from, from applying this verse? Not completely, because like everyone, I still have a degree of youth. I'm not dead yet. I'm still uh, moving about. I'm not on my deathbed. In fact, today is the youngest I'll ever be. We are told to think that way. We are told to think seriously about enjoying life. So enjoy today God's created world, the people you love, and then serve and forgive those you don't love as much because God wants to give you joy. Follow, this is an unexpected command, verse 9. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Is that biblical? If you took it out of context, it does sound exactly the opposite of the Bible because that sounds like what the world says. And you might, be, you might have watched it in movies and you hear that phrase, just follow your heart. And we kind of go, oh, that's so, so wrong. I know I, I've said that. And in, in one sense, the Bible says the same thing. Remember all the commandments of the Lord so that you will do them and not follow your own heart and your own eyes, which led you to prostitute yourself selves, so that you will remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God, and the idea of prostitute used as a verb here is, if your heart strays from God, you don't dare follow your heart or your eyes, your desires. You'll be in big trouble, but that's exactly the opposite of what it means if you do have your heart devoted to God. This is our verse. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but... Did you see the next phrase? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Follow your heart if you live accountable to God. 
You really can. God intends to give that joy to you. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It changes everything when your heart is devoted to God. You now have freedom to enjoy because it's a God-centered joy. This is especially addressed to younger people. You notice that? So, younger people, you do have freedom as you pursue dating, marrying, jobs, college, career. You have freedom when your heart is devoted to the Lord. So where should you focus? Devoting your heart to the Lord. And if God has your heart, don't be surprised that he gives you many of your desires. God delights to please us when we delight in him. That's for the young people, but right away we start thinking as parents, right? For us as parents of young people, it is a careful balance or tension as we try to guide, but with less control, and try to encourage instead of being discouraging to them. And just so you know, it'll always be messy. There is no perfect transition as a young person gains freedom. Priscilla remembers a discussion with one of our teens who shall remain unnamed. unnamed. But there was something she was discussing with this child that we had obviously discussed before. And this child said something to this effect. Mom, you told me to listen to God, but you are so loud. Who do you want me to listen to? Ouch. And we realized, okay, now it's time to back off and let them struggle with their own tension of listening to God while we gradually but surely must get out of the way. But that is the issue. Young person, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You are accountable before God. And you are in a transition from that time when you are accountable to your parents because they controlled everything. But they do not release you to nothing. Rather, you are coming under the control and submission of God himself. Back in chapter 9, interestingly, it's the same set of verses, 7 through 10. He describes proper pleasures. Enjoy food, drink, garments, uh, your wife, marital relationships. And then it says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, so a job, career, hobbies, it's a whole world of enjoyment and pleasure for the believer. But remember, God will bring you into judgment. What kind of judgment is this? Is it now or is that later in eternity? Doesn't clarify here. Maybe it's both. I think there's many ways that we experience God's judgment on earth without God directly doing anything. Just kind of letting us go our own way because you can ruin legitimate pleasures by 
those four that they mentioned in chapter, he mentioned in chapter 9, if you eat in excess all the fatty and processed foods, you won't be healthy. If you uh, drink alcohol to excess, you won't be happy. Your family won't. Too many examples of that. If you work too hard and, and too much, seeking to find your significance there, trying to please people who can't be pleased, trying to finance an excessive lifestyle, you won't be happy, your family won't be happy. There's plenty of ways that, that judgment just happens naturally in God's word world. Sometimes it might be more direct. This is one of three times that uh, Solomon mentions God's judgment in Ecclesiastes. Uh, the last one, glance ahead to the last verse of the book, I think does refer to some, something eternal. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That's his final reminder, warning. Um, if that refers to unbelievers who will indeed face eternal judgment, that's true. Could refer to us as believers. We know that if we have put our faith in Christ, there is no condemnation, no eternal condemnation. There is nothing we could do that would change our destination from, from heaven to hell because that has been settled at the cross when you put your faith in Christ. And yet we do know there will be a judgment seat of Christ where Christ will review, evaluate our lives for that which he can approve, praise, and reward. And so where we have been unethical or, or lustful or envious or greedy or unloving or selfish or really anything that has distracted us from the things he told us to do, to love and serve Christ and others, then there is an evaluation for that. God will bring you into judgment. So take your enjoyment seriously and make sure that you are pursuing enjoyment in the parameters of God's word. Because Galatians 6 what we sow, we shall reap. God will not be mocked. Enjoy your youth the way he designed it. As parents, we love to see our kids have fun, especially when they're younger. We just somehow had this longing to make fun for them. And so we buy them toys and play silly games and, and play catch and go camping and go to water parks. But the younger they are, the more we can rein them in. And so giving them fun seems safe because we know that we can inter intervene if they cross a line of safety, if they uh, start ruining fun for others, their siblings or whatever. Have fun, but I'm the parent in control. But then come those teen years when these freedoms are grudgingly, gradually released to them. And uh, they can't wait for it, and we can't avoid it. Who really knows how many teenagers will be in that car? Who really knows if someone they see this evening will entice them to drink? If somehow they will become involved wrongly with someone in their passions. And so we realize that with freedom... There comes accountability and responsibility. God wants all his kids to enjoy life at all ages, but only true, true joy only comes if we are in the safety of his 
commands, his parameters. His warnings come with love, just like every good parent gives their warnings out of love. Whether it sounds like it to you, young people, or not, it is love. So what are some practical steps to grow in our enjoyment of life? Verse 10, he says you need to address whatever is hindering your godly enjoyment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles. You may have the word pain of, or sorrows of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. The first line is clearly telling us to stop worrying. It might address your heart or sorrows or vexation in your translation, but it's about worry. Uh, not, he says you, you've got to address your, your endless worrying because you will waste the short years you have on earth that God meant you to enjoy. Because youth and vigor are meaningless, probably meaning uh, here short-lived or, or they've, got a, they've got an expiration date. So don't let worry kill your joy, and there is nothing that kills joy like worry. I have too many examples in my own life where I think worry stole joy. So do we trust God or not? Because that's always what the worry issue is about. In chapter 5, we were reminded about the greatness of God and, and our, his ability to be trusted. Guard your steps, chapter 5, when you go into the house of God. Let your words be few, because he is in heaven and you are on earth. So stand in awe of God. Just get over the control issue and start trusting him. And we do enjoy life more to the degree we trust him more. So stop worrying about the things that, that you cannot control. In the second line, cast off the troubles of your body. Uh, pain, uh, King James Version says evil. Uh, this is the basic word in the, in the Old Testament for evil, and it can mean physical pain, but I wonder if it doesn't actually mean evil. So Solomon would be saying, stop doing anything evil, harmful, or wrong, because that'll kill your joy. It'll always ruin your joy to do what is wrong. So if what you think is fun is actually causing harm, something you see in the eyes of your kids or your spouse or something, then that's not fun. That's not a joy that God has for you. If your desire for something that seems permissible is becoming uh, addictive or controlling or dragging you into sin, cast off evil because it'll ruin your joy. Don't waste your life trying to enjoy something that in the long run is ruining relationships and distorting or perverting God's plan for sincere, godly joy. Are you enjoying life like God intended you to enjoy it? Does enjoying something almost make you feel guilty? Or does it give you a spiritual experience with God? To enjoy something. This week I listened to part of a message by Joe Rigney. He's a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. The message was entitled, he's a professor, uh, the message was entitled Joy in the Everyday, and I want to uh, adapt and use four of his principles. His, 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 uh, his thing was baseball, so he, he, he gave four principles about how
how joy in baseball becomes joy in God. You can fill in the blank with what you want to. Uh, his grandfather was a major league player and manager. His dad worked in baseball. He grew up loving baseball. Now his kids were in Little League. And so he listed four ways that joy in baseball can be joy in God. Fill in the blank for yourself what you enjoy. Motorcycles or whatever it might be. How joy in blank becomes joy in God? It's when I'm grateful to God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, James says. So if it's enjoyable because God gave it, do it with gratitude because gratitude actually creates the joy. Because now you are able to thank someone for what you are enjoying. Joy in blank becomes joy in God when I share my joy with God and others. In the garden was God, Adam, and Eve. When, when God uh, created, I think he enjoyed the creation, but I think he really enjoyed it when he got to show it all to Adam and Eve. Look what I did for you. What do you enjoy about Christmas, as an adult especially? You enjoy when you give and, and someone can receive what you have prepared. You're, you're looking at their eyes. Are they, are they responding appropriately? <laughs> because that shared joy is joy. Or then he gave all of this garden of Eden to Adam and Eve and gave them to each other and they were to enjoy the beauty of the garden, the beauty of the sky, the beauty of each other. Because shared joy is what creates the joy. Joy in your favorite thing becomes joy in God when it helps you kill sin and anxiety. Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Does God want you to be happy? I've heard people say, God wants me to be happy. And it was kind of their way to defend doing something God doesn't want them to do. You see the contradiction. Because if we are seeking joy in something God said is sinful, you can be sure that joy will soon run dry. But if we pursue holiness, holiness is the path to happiness. So pursue holiness, and then in fact God uses good things that we enjoy to help us avoid sinful things. But if we have not developed a proper view of God and a tr proper view of, of, of godly fun, there's nothing to replace it. And we will run to Satan's distortions and perversions over and over. That's how important it is. That's how serious we must be about godly enjoyment. Finally, he says, when it brings me hope, it becomes joy in God when it brings me hope for the future because this joy is incomplete. Joe Rigney pointed out that while he enjoys going to his son's Little League games, he always experiences some sadness because his dad died too early to enjoy watching the grandkids play. He says, so this, this joy, while it's truly a joy in God, is incomplete. And indeed, probably you've experienced that as well. This would be so, so, so fun if only someone was there 
who can't be. Certain joys are limited because we have disabilities. Certain joys are limited because they expose conflict and sin. Anybody ever argued on vacation? I mean, it happens all the time. We're most selfish on vacation because we went there to go indulge ourselves, and suddenly we're all at each other. And so when we experience incomplete joy, that needs to give us hope for the future when there will be no sin. Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes so there will be a time when joys will be complete. And we can be sure that the very best joys that we could imagine on earth, and while you're enjoying them, tell yourself this, if I enjoy this from God, what must heaven be like? Because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. God's the source of joy. So enjoy everything he plans, everything he allows of his goodness to be seen by you. And begin to develop a proper view of God's goodness. Look at spring bursting out around us in these days and tell me God didn't intend for you to enjoy that. Look at pictures of my grandchildren and tell me I'm not supposed to be enjoying that, but I should be moping around. Travel some. Don't have to go far to enjoy rivers, forests, or then sometimes mountains and beaches. And be compelled like I am to always be pulling out my phone and trying to capture somehow to keep some of that moment you have appreciating something God created for me to enjoy at that moment. And then tell me how terrible the world is. He must have something incredible awaiting us if this is so amazing. So as you address your view of God, ask yourself, is he dark? Is he frowning? Is he joyless? Or did he create me in my world with this piece of youth and strength to enjoy what I see? People he's put into my life so that when there is all this hurt and evil and concern and spiritual battle around me, I am drawn to trust and obey the God who is the author of all true pleasure and joy. And the sooner, the younger you are when you start that mindset, the better. Let's pray. Forgive us, Lord, where we have um, maybe believed the, eyes, the, the lies of the enemy, questioned your goodness. Comfort us, Lord, when we face many deep and hurtful things. When there are legitimate mournings and worries in our heart, Lord, refresh us with a God-centered joy. You have called us to rejoice in the Lord always, and you repeat it, and you repeat it. So help us to have such a clear view of you that in this journey we are drawn to be faithful to you, delighting ourselves in you, and then being completely unsurprised when you delight us as well. In Jesus' name.
Amen.